0: You start to see more and more prevalent security threats and more complicated security threats. And there's always been threats. Do you notice that more companies are creating dedicated teams? Is this more of a, like a 2023, is you have to have like a CISO in your organization? In
1: 2013, there was a couple of major retailer breaches. It became clear that a security incident was not just going to affect the chief security officer. uh, It was also going to affect other C-level executives. Fast forward to 2016, you had the election interference and the hack of the DNC. Fast forward to 2020, everybody went to work from home. You know, the joke of like, which C word drove the technology innovation at your company? Was it the CTO, the CEO, or the COVID-19? Because everybody overnight went work from home. That's wild. That is absolutely wild. Today, my
0: guest is John Downey. Chief Information Security Officer for GoFundMe and Classy, where he leads the security strategy and operations for both platforms. He has over 20 years' experience in software development and security. He's worked for some of the most reputable and innovative companies in the world. On average, nonprofits do not have the expertise that the for profit business world has. I'm interested. A case study as to what made you want to move into the nonprofit world.
1: My passion is for payments and it's weird to say, but like <laughs> I learned a lot about how the banking system works, how messy it can be, but how.
0: What are your thoughts on how do nonprofits build back trust and, and compete in a 2023 environment?
1: I had a leader at a company I worked at many years ago uh, who kind of talked about like, you know, you can
0: Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot podcast network. They've supported the show for almost two years now. So I want to just give a shout out to them. HubSpot is an incredible tool for business leaders. If you've never tried it before, you obviously have to check it out. Uh, You've heard a lot about it on this show. But outside of just HubSpot being amazing, they're incorporating AI tools that as a business leader, you have to pay attention to because right now we're living through the industrial age of AI. There are already tons of innovative ways to leverage AI tech to streamline and grow your business. HubSpot just launched two free AI tools that can help you automate some of the more tedious parts of marketing and managing the CRM. So Content Assistant and ChatSpot are brand new GPT-powered features that can instantly brainstorm blog topics, write ad copy, filter contacts, run reports, and so much more. They're like virtual assistants that never complain, never quit, that quickly dig through data dumps to find you the needle in the haystack. So to learn more about using AI to grow a better business, head to HubSpot.com slash artificial intelligence.
1: Yeah, so I, you know, I'm very fortunate that I can kind of remember very clearly what that moment was for me. So, uh, the moment that kind of set me down this path was, you know, my like 12th or 13th birthday. I Went over to my grandfather's house to, you know, kind of say hi to him, and he gave me a $20 bill. He's like, "Happy birthday! Here's a $20 bill." And on the drive home, we uh, we stopped because we saw a garage sale. And I grew up in the Midwest, so very common to see garage sales all over the place. So we stopped, saw a Garage Sale, figured we'd browse around. And uh, up until that point, we had a family computer that had internet access through AOL, got the free CDs in the mail. Uh, but we, my parents were adamant, because it was the 90s, that I couldn't have a computer in my room that had internet. And so I really wanted the computer in my room. They said no. So uh, we stopped at this Garage Sale, and they had a Commodore 64, which if you don't know what that is, it's kind of an older the computer that was really popular in the 80s uh you know crt tv clunky keyboard uh and they were selling it for twenty dollars and my mom was really concerned she's like well you can't have internet in your room and the person's like oh don't worry it doesn't get internet (laughs) um and so they're like okay so i brought it home and like that you know started playing with that you know at first it was video games but the thing that really kind of set me down this path was they gave me all the manuals and all of the books that they had about it, and I had all the all the software. And one of them was how to program computer games in BASIC. And it was just printouts of source code for for games that you could type into the Commodore and get it to go. And actually, I've since lost the book, but I went and found one on eBay uh, years later because I wanted to keep that as a memento. Uh, but that's kind of what set me down this path. Like, I was really interested in software and computers. And like this moment kind of solidified that I wanted to do something with computers.
0: And, and as you go down this career path, um, what what makes you want to be responsible for the mission critical systems <laughs> that, are, that are literally like the, the the gate of all the bad actors in the world trying to sabotage a company? That is the most stressful thing I think anybody could ever want to do. and. And I mean, like there's a lot of different developer jobs and engineer jobs that can make a ton of money and you can build and create a ton of great products that I mean, in a larger company, you don't have to be responsible for this level of 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 item in the company. But you went down this path, because if I look at actually your background, you've been mm-hmm. in information security for several of the past. This is not like something that yeah. you've just did, Yeah. Did, you know, yeah, at a later stage. Up, uh... Right.
1: Yeah, so I can, you know, for me, I was always really interested in security and actually it was kind of a weird, I did kind of a weird flip thing, right? So I was really, I started developing software really early on, late teens, like yeah. writing PHP and like sharing it out, you know, on forums. It was early 2000s, late 90s. Uh, and someone actually found a security issue in one of the things and they reported it to me. And I thought that was so interesting that I really got into security for a while. And then it, I kind of flipped it around. That I found like the most interesting security aspects to me were about software and the like bugs in software. And so I really went hard into that, uh, studied computer science, and then I, I started off as a software engineer because it was the job I could get. But I was always really passionate about security. And it wasn't until I ended up uh, I ended up joining a startup called Braintree, uh, Braintree, which was a payments company. Uh, I was the twelfth engineer, 40th person in the company, very small. And I wrote software. I wrote banking software uh, for you know, and we were powering uh, you know companies like Uber and Airbnb and GitHub, mm-hmm. so you know not small companies, very fast growing companies, and it was it was fascinating. Got to learn a lot about banking and finance and payments. Uh, but then I, you know, I was kind of looking around, going, you know, I still have this passion for security, and uh, you know, I was you know as we got bigger and bigger, I was like, we really kind of need a dedicated security function, and I uh, you know I proposed it to the CTO. And like any good leader, he was like, okay, that's not your problem. Go build out our security function. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I go figure this out. And so I, you know, we did it. We started to hire, build that, build off the team. Then uh, PayPal came and acquired the company in 2013. And then uh, towards the end of my time at PayPal, I actually ended up leading security for all their acquisitions. So for Venmo and Padient and uh, Zoom with an X, yeah. uh, as well as Braintree. Uh, so it was it was a great experience but like I ended up going there because you know I you know someone found a bug in my software like I I made a mistake that would you know are the kind of things that I'm trying to help our engineers here find in yeah. their software and it set me down this path of like this is fascinating to me but you're right it's a lot of stress uh, it takes a kind of a, a type of personality to like deal with it and like kind of take the waves as they come and just sort of figure out what the best path forward is
0: well you know in in today's landscape I feel like and I'm not living in this world, so I'm just making assumptions based on news, which is a horrible way to make assumptions. But you you start to see more and more prevalent security threats and more complicated security threats. And there's always been threats, right? But do you notice that uh, more companies are creating dedicated teams? Is this more of a, like a 2023, is this like a, you have to have like a, a CISO in your organization as soon as you can get one because there's just so many bad actors and they're so sophisticated? Is this like the norm now?
1: I think it's been kind of developing as the norm for a number of years, and so I kind of like in my career, uh, I kind of see a few couple milestones. So 2013, there was a couple major retailer breaches. Mm -hmm. So you saw like Target and a few others, and that was kind of the point at which it became clear that a security incident was not just going to affect the chief security officer; Uh, it was also going to affect other C-level executives um, at the company. So that that was an interesting kind of development, and then. You know, fast forward a couple of years, you had 2016, you had the election interference and the hack of the DNC. Mm -hmm. That kind of, you know, was another big aspect. Fast forward to 2020, everybody went to work from home. There's the, you know, the joke of like, which C word uh, major, you know, drove the technology innovation at your company? Was it the CTO, the CEO, or the COVID-19? Because everybody overnight went work from home. And that brings, you know, radically changed the security landscape. And then, you know, kind of, you know, fast forward to today, You know, these inflection points keep hitting, and then we have a big one, at least for public companies, with the SEC rules uh, that, you know, are currently a proposal most likely going to pass. They're going to require that you start to report on the cybersecurity expertise of your board, that the board has to acknowledge that they have cybersecurity oversight responsibility, Mm -hmm. kind of setting out rules and requirements for reporting of cybersecurity incidents. And then just even uh, a couple days ago, the Biden administration putting out the national cybersecurity strategy. Um, from the from CISA, the Critical Infrastructure Security Administration, as part of DHS, they set out kind of like, here's how you know technology is critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, security issues in technology are you know kind of affect the entire American people, and here's what we're going to do to really make sure that companies are taking responsibility for this because there's really an underlying current of, you know, kind of so what? Like we have a security issue, the stock price rebounds. You know, maybe someone loses their job, but it's like not that big of a deal.
0: hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
1: Except for it, it has, you know, started to become a big deal and the companies are starting to realize it. But I think Politically, the regulators are starting to say, look, we have to get involved and push companies harder and faster.
0: So it makes a ton of sense that there has to be some more formalized security uh, process, uh, regulatory oversight, because I think, it, you know, when you start playing at a big enough level, it is a lot more it can be a lot more impactful than just the stock price. Right. Like you just like you just mentioned. But it's interesting when you look at what the, the SEC is doing, your background, the SEC is not. Um, is not a, is not the most forward-looking organization in the world. and and you, you even you look at when uh, we speak to tech leaders and we and we bring them before the Senate, and we're you know we're speaking to them and asking them questions, and some of the questions are so rudimentary and and silly. and it's just like, how do these people keep up with the most advanced threats in the world? So when you look at what the SEC is doing, is it enough? Does the SEC know what good looks like, or is there more that has to be done?
1: So I think that's a that's a great question. Uh, I think where the SEC is largely, in my opinion, catching up with uh, where highly regulated organizations, right? So like financial services, yeah. um, healthcare, places like that, had already had a lot of these kind of requirements in place. Uh, where the SEC is kind of coming in is it's clarifying that this isn't just those industries; it's all industries. And also clarity, you know, clarifying wise, at, you know, SEC's goal is always we need to empower investors and protect investors. And so, what what requirements are there? You know, if you have an incident, but the incident maybe doesn't reach this, you know, you know this kind of mythical material level. Well, what does that even mean? Like SEC is kind of laying out, like, well, no, here's what that means. Here, you know, here's what you have to put into your 8K, which is yeah. the form that you have to file when there's a, a you know material incident. Uh, and here's like specifically how long it's been going on, kind of like the criteria of it. Uh, I, you know, are they going far enough? I think that's that's a great thing. We'll kind of see. Over the next few, you know, over the next few years, if you know, companies really start to increase the reporting and the visibility, if it if, they take know, if them the sunlight seriously. actually if the sunlight yeah. actually kind of acts as a you know acts as an agent of change. Um, but I, I don't know. I, you know, I think the, a lot of the a lot of the regulated industries were already this or already this way. Especially if you are regulated out of states like New York, where mm-hmm. they have already had very stringent requirements for financial services companies. Um, you know, you, you're seeing a lot of these things are things that you had to do already.
0: Um, And, and, you know, now I'm actually more curious about this is going to be about your career path, too, and how you moved from one, like you were working with PayPal. I mean, you could not have picked a more important organization for there to be some sort of information security oversight. Like when you're working in financial industries, it's I mean, a breach is just like it, it can be horrifying, but I've always found that on average nonprofits do not have the expertise that the for-profit business world has and i'm interested as to you as like a, a case study as to what made you want to move into the nonprofit world because somebody with the information security background from paypal i would say there's unlimited career opportunities potential money out there that you could go chase after and i think that's actually a problem that a lot of nonprofits have i think that they do not know either how to or cannot afford to pay because the business model is suffering to some degree to pay the salaries of the people that can move the organization forward and not even just information security like sales, marketing, everything. But you made that conscious decision and I think that like that's remarkable. So I, I feel safe with, with GoFundMe, I feel safe with Classy, but I think a lot of nonprofits suffer from this, which is why you see trust in nonprofits start to degrade, to be quite honest. So what, what was that thought process for you? How did you make that jump? Why would, why were you able to do that? Why did GoFundMe look towards somebody who was like highly capable to bring into the organization?
1: Yeah, so you know, I, I spent, you know, as, I, as you mentioned, I spent a number of years at PayPal and kind of, you know, I knew my next steps, I wanted to kind of stay in financial services. So I actually went to it and spent a little bit of time in insurance, uh, you know, just to try out, try my hat on another kind of financial services sector mm-hmm. but you know my passion is for payments and it's weird to say but like i kind of got really good at it i <laughs> learned a lot about how the banking system works uh how messy it can be but how functional in, in a lot of ways it is and how important it is you know you look at a lot of, you know a lot of the last couple of weeks here with uh you know the the fed and the banks uh, in the u.s and uh so that, that i wanted to kind of stick to that and so gofundme and classy offer a way to kind of like for me, stay in payments, but also feel a lot better about what I was doing on a day to day basis. That's fair. Yeah, that's N- Now that you know, obviously, hold no animus towards any of my prior employers. We we were doing great work, but it helps you know, day to day, I feel the impact a lot more at GoFundMe and Classy. Um, in terms of you know, you raised up a great point around nonprofits and you know, that's you know, the whole kind of government NPO sector, uh, ha- you know, NGO sector has a real, a real deficit of talent in a lot of cases. There's recently been a case where uh you know the uh nsa and others have like been like hey we want to do a talent swap with industry where they want to go to like google and you know and facebook and others and say like hey we'll 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 swap people with you like you can kind of send your best security engineers to us and we'll train them to help us in our fight against you know whatever it is and then they'll work for us for a few years and then we'll swap them back and you know, kind of like you know as a mm-hmm. way to like maybe get talent that's an, something that they've kind of floated recently i think this is you know it just goes to show you that there's a real um, there's a real issue here. And a lot of that kind of stems back to, uh, just, you know, start, you know, nonprofits have a lot of the, from my experience, have a lot of the issues startups do, you know, they're small, they usually have very limited resources, scrappy team, everybody's mm-hmm. the thing I love about being a startup is everybody did everything, right? Like my yep. job description <laughs> when I joined Braintree said that I may be asked to take the trash out. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. Cause I, I was, it was something I was really passionate about. I think the people who work at small nonprofits, small to medium sized nonprofits have the same passion. Uh, but you know, maybe a little bit different mission alignment, right? They're mm-hmm. really, very philanthropic, like kind of looking to the, do you know do the most good. And the key thing I see is sort of the funding, right? So in a startup, you know another dollar going towards AWS or, some, or GitHub or some developer tool, you know it kind of makes sense. It's you know an investment that you're kind of making towards the future. When you're in a nonprofit, a lot of these dollars, like you want to maximize your dollars going to programs. Mm -hmm. How can I deliver whatever help my nonprofit is trying to deliver? I want to maximize that, which means, you know, paying less on salaries, investing less in training, investing less in, you know, other things. Until you get bigger and you hit this kind of inflection point at which, you know, you kind of have to make that risk-based decision. But smaller organizations, community organizations, they're really trying to maximize the program. Um, how much they can put into the program, which means they have to minimize a lot of other stuff.
0: You all know the success story podcast is part of the HubSpot podcast network. They have incredible podcasts. So please go check out their roster. But one of my favorite shows is nudge hosted by Phil Agnew. You just have to understand that some of the smallest changes can have the biggest impacts on your life and on nudge. This is what Phil goes through. He speaks about evidence backed tips to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, grow a business every single episode is bite-sized 20 minutes it comes packed with practical advice from some of the most prolific uh, entrepreneurs behavioral scientists in the world and it's the UK's fastest growing business podcast I definitely recommend you go check it out you should listen to nudge wherever you get your podcast and and that 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 like I, I've seen that a lot but that means that there's a lot of vulnerabilities and liabilities in the in the nonprofit sector. So maybe speak to maybe speak to some of the things that you th- that you see as like a, attack vectors that could be a major issue um, if these are not more addressed and if people don't put more of an emphasis on information security, because I, I feel like to your point before, private industry is taking it more seriously than they did before, but I feel like nonprofit is potentially still lagging.
1: Now, I think that that's very true. and I think one of the things I, I always recommend to folks is, uh, you know, you have a couple different types of attackers who may come after you, right? So yeah. you have uh, people who are doing it just because they don't like you, or they don't like what you stand for, or they don't like someone involved with you. They're kind of hacktivists, uh, you're gonna have a hard time defending against them. And you know, if you're a nonprofit, like there are nonprofits that are politically motivated, and they have, and therefore they're gonna have someone of the opposite of persuasion attacking them. But the vast majority of people that they're probably gonna deal with are people who are financially motivated. So financially motivated attackers are you know they're usually at the at the lower levels at these kind of smaller companies it's more of a drive by issue and less of a targeted issue right so i always describe it to you know it's not tom cruise and mission impossible like breaking into the facility and like dropping down you know and like stealing the information it's someone walking down the street and jiggling the the handles on the car doors right mm, like that's the okay. kind of person they're just they're just looking for a car that was left unlocked that they can rob and so what you need to do as an organization is do the things you have to do to lock your car doors and make sure that your, your employees are doing it. And so that's things like good password hygiene. So you know having strong passwords, unique passwords per website, using a password manager, turning on multi-factor authentication. Probably the best thing you can do is enable MFA everywhere you can. Uh, and then last thing is patching. So like patching your software, patching your phones, encouraging everybody to do to make sure like, hey, keep everything up to date. Uh, And then you're going to be at that point. You're going to be pretty close to being the one who's had their car door locked. The one I've added that very recently is um, just double checking that all your laptops are encrypted. So this is something that you know is starting to come more of a norm out of the out of the gate. But like, if you get a new Windows or Mac laptop, just make sure that it's the encryption's enabled. And this is where it kind of you know helps to have a partner to do this, right? Like if you're a nonprofit, if you can partner somebody, because I don't expect. An executive director at a local foundation to be an expert on technology, know how to turn on BitLocker. Yeah. But hopefully there is an organization they can work with, an IT consultant or someone who can do that. Um, and the reason I I kind of go into the laptop thing is because people, like any mobile device, the mobile phones are very good. Like you know, mobile modern mobile phones are are pretty are pretty secure. It's the mobile laptops just because you do lose them, you leave them in cabs, you leave them at you know restaurants. Like things happen. And when that happens, you want to make sure that you have a fairly high confidence that the data on it is safe.
0: So you're saying like, from what I'm hearing, that the majority of, of problems still, the majority of potential uh, attacks are, are still human, are, are still focused on the human, are still focused on the human screwing something up basically, or, or getting fished or, or losing something.
1: Yeah. So the, you know, Verizon every year publishes a great report that kind of outlines data statistics, and something like 80 plus percent of, of attacks that are you know going to be like really wildly successful start with known credentials so they start hmm. with someone you know it's not that like someone hacked the matrix and kind of broke in it's like no they got scott's username and password and they logged in as scott
0: and that <laughs> and and i'm assuming actually if 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 you're if you have a workforce that's now working from home which is a reality post covid then you, you you to your point actually so you don't have uh, you don't have the proper encryption on the devices that people are working off of because they're taking something home or they're commingling the files from their work with the files on their personal computer at home. And every, all, the, all the security requirements that in office you could sort of control, now it's like the Wild West. It's like craziness because everybody goes home and they can use whatever device they want and they're using their personal device, using their work device, using personal phone, work phone. Is that what you're dealing with right now?
1: I, I, I mean i think so and i think a lot of folks have been dealing with it since 2020 you know march of 2020 yeah. i remember uh talking to competitors at the time uh when i where i was where they were sending people home with desktops because it was all they had they didn't have <laughs> laptops for these <laughs> people wild. you couldn't buy a laptop i don't know if you if you were in the mode of trying to buy a laptop in august uh, or sorry in april it May was like a just sellout panic yeah you couldn't like uh and like because all the students were going to remote learning all the employees were going remote If they didn't already have these the supply chains were immediately jammed and so because of this things were skipped you know efficiency was needed to get people up and running and so i think a lot of companies and places are dealing with the fact that like they kind of you know there's still this COVID fog of like you have this technology out there now fortunately unfortunately you know it's a couple years old so maybe it's you know entering the place where it's going to be replaced but you have a lot of technology out there that was kind of like rushed into production if you will uh, in these kind of early days of COVID that maybe, you know, didn't get, you know, the firewalls didn't get configured or the laptops didn't get encrypted. If you're not a sophisticated organization that, you know, has the remote management capabilities like a small nonprofit, you, you you may have this risk out there. And so, you know, kind of going back to what I mentioned a little bit earlier is partnering with someone who can kind of help you out with this. Like I don't expect people to have this, you know, these people on staff and, at that level. You you outsource it, you know, just like a, kind of how a startup would for a, uh, You know for for things that aren't maybe core to what they're trying to build you kind of have to outsource it to someone who's an expert
0: but also like so you're saying that like a lot of this comes yeah so you're outsourcing some of the actual very uh uh technical items but there's a i'm sure there's a lot of education that can be built into an organization that probably also wasn't there that could mitigate tons of these problems so i mean let's talk about the human component and and these breaches because the human that's that's the fallacy that's the weak point right that's the achilles heel so outside of pure technical what are the for a, for a for any? I was gonna say small business owner, but for any business owner that doesn't have this knowledge in house, what are the, like the best practices that you would teach over to your team or your employees so that they don't fall victim to this stuff? Because I'm even spouting off stuff like "don't get fished." Okay, maybe people don't even know what that means. You know, I, yeah. I I get the dude. I get these like scam emails all the time, and they're getting actually quite complex. And I can see it because I'm a technical person, and I'm not I'm not oblivious to this. But I get emails from uh, my own team. Where they've like changed the name of the of the email, but this, if you actually go into, or they change the, name of the sender, but the email like mm-hmm. is this weird obscure email, and it's like, "Hey Scott, like you know, oh it's Patrick," and it's like, "Change my banking information on my payroll," right. can, and yeah, I, I need my ACH update. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, it's
1: you like also naming iTunes gift cards. <laughs> right,
0: exactly. <laughs> and, and it's like, oh, don't don't uh, don't don't call me. I'm in a meeting. Just do this urgently, like stuff yeah, like yeah. that. So I mean, not yeah, everyone's but... gonna fall for that, but.
1: Yeah, no, so you say that, you know, the the recent, so uh, a few days ago, the FBI released their uh, 2022 uh, cybercrime statistics. And so they categorized that under kind of this thing called BEC, or business email compromise. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it, for years and years and years, was the number one thing on their cybercrime, always in, you know, a couple billion uh, lost uh, reported to them. This year, it actually dropped to number two. Uh, The number one is uh, now investment scams, so the crypto scams. Uh, but it's still number two. It's still a huge deal, and it takes the form that you you, you mentioned, which is. All, all you know, often somebody will reach out. Usually, they'll impersonate an executive or CEO, CFO, president, someone. They'll send. We've been, we've actually been seeing a lot more text messages than mm. emails recently, where they'll text or email and say like, Hey, I'm the CEO. Uh, I have something really important. You can't reach me. But I need you to do something, and it always involves like wiring money or changing an ACH information or buying gift cards or something for some reason. Uh, and anything that you can do to extract value out of the person or the organization. Uh, and, you know, they're playing to a couple of things, right? They're playing to urgency. They're playing towards people's sense of wanting to help out, especially like the CEO. Mm-hmm. You, know, and, you know, hey, like, I, you know, I'm know, i special. They reached out to me because they thought I could handle it. I want to let them down. Um, and, you know, and people, unfortunately, do fall for it. And that's uh, you know, to the tune of a couple billion a year that we know of so far, at least from the FBI, in, in the U S and like that, I think a lot of that kind of goes back to creating a foundation of trust inside the organization to, you know, know, you know, basically, you have to make people aware that these are a big thing. So, you know, awareness and security awareness and training is is big for organizations of all size, you know, make sure that people have the feel, feel comfortable to kind of stop and say like, Hey, this is weird. Like maybe I should like validate this. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, how how would I go about validating that the email, that the email I just got from the CEO, isn't correct. Like, is the CEO even approachable at my company? Uh, so, we're, you know, I'm very fortunate at the place where I work at GoFundMe. Uh, our CEO has actually like you know come out in town halls and said like, I will never text you, I will never email you and ask you to do this. We will always use proper channels, and, and that's that's helpful. But for organizations that are a little bit smaller, they haven't seen this before. You know, I I am involved in an organization where they they had this and the person actually kind of went along with it for a little bit. Um, this is at a, at an organization I've consulted with in the past. What do you mean they went and, along with it? They, they, they were, like, down the street about to buy uh, gift cards oh, for Walgreens shit. when they stopped and said, wait a minute, this makes no sense. Why should I be doing this? Yeah, And they felt super embarrassed, as you would, and they, like, didn't want to report it, didn't want to talk about it because it's very natural. You know, you you, you, you can be embarrassed. You can, and, you, know, you can find yourself, like, feeling like a fool, and that's why it's important to always create this, like, you have to lead with empathy. You have to say, like, look, this ha- could have happened to anybody. I would feel embarrassed, too. Here's what we can do to, like, make sure that we, you know, we're resilient to this in the future, mm-hmm. uh, and just sort of, you know, focus on improving the situation. There's, there's an aspect in security we call the human firewall, which is, you know, knowing that we could have the best security in the world, but we, you know, if we don't have humans out there kind of helping us out as well, like, we're going to miss things. And the example I always go back to with this is the Solar Winds breach from a few years ago. So Solar Winds um, got compromised. We, you know, the U.S. has blamed the Russian government for doing this. Um, and they, they were in, in organizations like Microsoft and the State Department and a company called FireEye. FireEye is a very famous security company. Uh, it was actually an employee at FireEye, got a multi-factor uh, authentication reset email, reached out to their security team, said, I didn't do this. This is weird. Launched an investigation, found that they, they had this breach that had stem from SolarWinds, and that's how the whole thing was uncovered. If they
0: really? if this
1: human hadn't kind of been aware it had felt comfortable going to their security team with this, that the whole SolarWinds incident may have lasted for another another few months, if not years.
0: That's wild. That is absolutely wild that like such a, it's such a, somebody who needs to feel psychologically safe to speak up. And that's really what stopped this from going on. Actually, I, I was just thinking, you know, as you're telling me that story, I actually do have a friend who ran a very large business. And I think... I think it was just under five hundred thousand and it was a payment. It was a payment for a service and basically there was an email sent to change the, the wire information or the ACH information and it was gone. But that employee in particular felt embarrassed but like spoke up immediately and I, the 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 founder and CEO of that company was like a very good friend and he's a good person so like obviously not, not an ass about it. But yeah, yeah I could see that and, and I could actually see this is this is almost like a, a, a leadership lesson can do more for reinforcing the security of your organization than, than anything, really. Because if you create a psychologically safe environment and somebody's going to be willing to speak up and like raise their hand when they screw something up, that's great. That's a very healthy organization. If somebody screws something up and you reprimand them and you fire them, that is actually potentially going to do more harm to your organization in the long term because everybody who saw that action is going to be like scared out of their mind to ever say anything if they ever do anything wrong and that's gonna cause more repercussions.
1: Yeah, it's very similar to uh, in the DevOps world, um, coming out of Etsy, there's this thing called blameless postmortems. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the idea is, you know, so if you have an incident, the site goes down, there's an outage, somebody, you you know, somebody maybe misconfigured something. And there's this idea that when you kind of get together to talk about what happened and find the improvements going forward, that you do it in a blameless fashion. So Mm -hmm. you don't say, John pushed this update and John caused the site to go down. You'd be like, an update was pushed, the site went down. Here's what we're gonna do going forward. You don't, by not attaching blame, you're creating this, you know, this environment in which you can kind of lead with empathy, create this space for people to, you know, kind of you know be safe to share these things, own it, not you know, you kind of create the you, you know, actually create a situation in which they won't try to cover it up ideally. Like they, and if you do go with blame first, maybe somebody's like, okay, I messed up, but like I can fix it really quickly i don't need anybody else to help me and then nobody will know and then i'll be i'll be fine nobody i won't get fired uh instead you can kind of stop and say oh i messed something up i need to ring the bell call for help because i can't fix this on my own
0: i, I love that i love blame blameless postmortems i make, i love i love the concept okay so we've kind of covered like best practices for somebody that has really not put any thought towards this but i want to like take it up a notch and i want to understand maybe something that's innovative that could be like a step two so look at look at your own org look at gofundme look at classy what are more innovative things that you're dealing with right now in this world that are just top of mind that somebody who is operating at a higher level and is operating with more complex threats should start to think about
1: it's a great question um i think a lot of it really kind of comes back down to like picking best in class partners right so we you know we we have to operate a very you know kind of limited scale with our teams we're you know doing the best we can but a lot of this kind of comes down to really keeping our finger on the pulse of technology and trying to pick the best partners and the best platforms to build on top of, you know, I, I think in terms of like being truly innovative, like we, you know, it, I don't think we have like the light bulb that's going to like, you know, kind of flash and solve the industry's, uh, you know, problems. I think for us our, our you know, really where we're leading with is like, we're trying to be empathetic training to make people aware. Yeah. To help our customers out. And, you know, a lot of that kind of comes down to like offering a lending hand, offering being, you know, kind of a, uh, someone who you can kind of offer con- consultation, kind of best in class support for. And then, you know, with that, like we can kind of like hope that we can lead organizations that aren't, you know, through this that aren't, you know, so they don't end up having some of these same issues, but you know, in terms of like, I want to
0: talk about the Kelly road show. I do not take my podcast recommendations lightly, but I have truly admired Kelly's journey from the get go. She was A fresh employee at a Fortune 500 received seven promotions in eight years, all this while building a company that blossomed into an eight-figure empire. Today, she's a best-selling author, top-ranked podcaster, the proud owner and co-owner of six thriving companies. And let's not forget, she's an Inc. 500 awardee, proving that growth isn't just a goal, it is a lifestyle. Now, her podcast, The Kelly Roach Show, dives deep into business growth strategies, specifically targeted for those hitting the six and seven figure mark, but it's not all business. She also explores the habits, mindset, and disciplines of the world's most successful people. It's a podcast. It's perfect whether you're just getting started or you're trying to up-level your success game. But here's the deal kicker for me. She is a super mom and a wife. She embodies the truth that you don't have to sacrifice your home life for success. She believes and shows that life-changing wealth wild success, a happy marriage, and a fulfilling home can coexist. That is goal. So tune in to the Kelly Road show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, trust me, it's time well invested. By the way, I don't mean like you're like changing the industry. I just meant like there's stuff that like, I I know for a fact, there's like threats that you're aware of that are much more complex than just like the human element.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that's definitely true. I mean, a lot of ours comes down to uh, defending against uh, actors who are, are against what's happening on our platform. Right. Yeah. So we, we, you know, we have open platforms where we're with organizations that are on many sides of many issues. Mm-hmm. And sometimes these, you know, there are people out there who don't like what's happening. So, and they're not,
0: they're not the, the jiggling the car door. That's, that's no, they're, the, yeah. Yeah,
1: they're not the jiggling the car door They're you know, you know, nation states, they're hacktivists. they are others. And so what they're doing in these cases, they're throwing whatever they can at us to help, you know, bring this down. And it's not, it's not always like the things that you would think of, like the big political flash pans, it's things like helping victims of earthquakes and stuff like that. Like some people just don't, you know, some people just like have eternal enemies and they don't want to like see people provide support. And so we're there to kind of help our organizations our you know, the donors, uh, all the campaigns and try to help Mm -hmm. make sure that we're providing a safe platform for them to provide as much help. So our, our goal here is to deliver help through whatever means we can. And like, we're providing that platform.
0: And and, you know, you're you're actively going out on on podcasts and obviously speaking about this. And I think it's super important. Um, But just from what you've seen in the world of nonprofits, the the role of trust and transparency, how does that impact the actual success, the confidence of the investor or the or the donator or the contributor? Um, Because I don't see, you know, no no other nonprofit. CISO has ever approached and wanted to speak about cybersecurity, but I do see uh, uh, not, I guess, eroding trust with nonprofits across the board. So what are your thoughts on how do nonprofits build back trust and and compete in a 2023 environment?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it comes from a lot of different aspects. So um, I had a leader at a company I worked at many years ago uh, who kind of talked about like you have to build, you know, you can build trust uh kind of like in a football game yeah. you inch the ball forward line you know you know kind of yard by yard but like one mess up and you're it's completely it's completely gone they're going to run the ball back the other direction you you've lost it all yeah. and like unfortunately it's a slow slog you got to build that trust back up by doing things that enable trust and some of that is like you know there are like kind of some flashy uh things you can do like good design we know is like great is linked to like providing trust. Like if you come to a website and it looks like it hasn't been updated since 1999, you're inherently not going to trust that. Like that's yeah. like, who are these people? What, what are they doing? So good design leading with empathy, you know, and then, you know, kind of attaching itself to a brand, partnering yourself with best in class, uh, you know, partners, like these are the things that you can kind of help do it. But unfortunately it's hard. Like you're building, you gotta build that trust up slowly over time. Uh, and then, you know, do the, do all the things you can to make sure you're not going to lose it.
0: I love that. And, and, and more on like, um, on a, on a product level, just to touch on this briefly, because I'm actually just like personally interested. Um, what, what is classy doing that GoFundMe is not doing? What's, what was the actual, and, and, and listen, I know you're not like CPO and and whatnot, but there's like, (laughs) (laughs) we can bring someone else on to go into the the finite, you know, minute details, but like, what, what are you, what are you trying to build out with like the second platform?
1: Yeah. So, um, if you look at GoFundMe kind of historically, GoFundMe, has uh, you know works with both nonprofits and just individuals. So we know that you know we know that a lot of people are out there helping raise money for friends, family, yeah. especially after disasters, uh, medical emergencies. We're kind of you know in COVID, we kind of you know became meme worthy for helping out people with uh, you know being kind of a backstop for the healthcare system. Trevor mm-hmm. Noah mentioned that on a, one of his daily shows. Uh, and Class C is hyper focused on helping nonprofits. So it's helping nonprofits fundraise, you know, through all the different ways they can, through live events, on platform, you know, recurring donations, everything about that. And GoFundMe had, you know, had done some things like this in the past, but we were really focused on this kind of crowdfunding platform, both for both individuals and nonprofits. And Classy is there really there for, if you're a nonprofit, if you're, you know, kind of a medium to large nonprofit and you want to raise money and have a fundraising platform, Classy is there for you. And, you know, we're doing our best to, you know, build a you know top class platform best in security and privacy uh trust and safety working with the best partners uh and then you know if you're if you're an individual and you need to like help raise money because you're you know there's an earthquake and you you need to you know help your friend rebuild their house yeah gofundme is there to kind of help you set up those campaigns
0: i got it and and i i guess what like classy is solving a great problem like a lot of this is a lot of the conversation is is sort of evolved around nonprofits not really keeping up with or not not you know being forward thinking or forward looking. So I guess like Classy is more or less like another way to modernize the way that nonprofits function as a, as a business unit, as a, as an organization. And, and I think,
1: yeah. yeah, I think that's a great way to think about it. you know, if you're a forward thinking nonprofit yeah. and you want to, you know, continue to partner with great platforms is here to be that platform. And, you know, we have, we have a lot of different, uh, other companies we partner with like Salesforce to kind of help, you know, provide the, the donor management aspect of it. Uh, But, you know, kind of like we're here to help you with the fundraising aspect of it. Like we, you know, a lot of the charitable organizations that, you know, they kind of live and die based on how much money they can raise every year. Yeah. And class is kind of there to help fill that. I love that.
0: Um, So before we wrap up, is there anything that I I didn't go into that you'd want to talk about, teach over to founders, entrepreneurs, C-suite, nonprofits that you think would be very, very valuable that we should just sort of like capture on this?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, something I when I go and I talk to, uh, I've, you know, kind of been fortunate to consult with quite a few smaller companies. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's always interesting, because like, everybody's, you know, everybody expects me to say, like, okay, like, start with security early, which is true, like, you should think about security early. But there's actually it's a balance, right? Like, you want to make sure that you find product, you know, if you're in the for-profit space. You wanna make sure that you're finding product market fit. And security can actually slow that down in some ways. So you got to okay. have, it's kinda of like this thing where it's like, it's the salt, you gotta sprinkle in just enough for the dish to taste good, but if you dump too much security on too early, it's gonna ruin the dish. And so you gotta bring it with moderation, you gotta do things like building in the culture, empathy, strong password, you know, using password managers. Mm-hmm. And all these things are easier to do when you have five employees than when you have 500 employees. And so, you know, starting off really early and kind of helping build that up from the start is is my advice to people.
0: So you have like a almost like a day day zero security best practices that will already mitigate a ton of problem in the future that is really frictionless to implement. And that's what you're saying like an entrepreneur should do like literally right away. And then yeah. as you grow and you scale and you get more complex and okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I you know, if I'm actually talk, talking to specifically to startups, I would say things like uh the make sure you're writing down the serial numbers for your laptops. So like things that you own, like you don't think about those until you really need it. But like, if you need, if it's lost, and you need to file a police report, you need the serial number. And like, yeah. maybe you can go back to your, you know, your email from Apple when you bought it and things like that and grab it from there. But like, it's easier if you just have a Google sheet that has a serial number and you can say, John was assigned the serial number. Unfortunately, he left it in a cab and we don't know where it is. You know, we had to file a police report so we can like, you know, potentially get it back in the future.
0: I love that. Um, if people want to, if people want to, I, I think a lot of people know a lot about GoFundMe, but if they want to go find more about GoFundMe, go find more about Classy, what you're working on there, or if they want to connect with you, where should they go? The socials, website, all that.
1: Yeah, so I uh, I have a personal blog, which I haven't written on in many, many years, but I have to some start. stuff up there about password <laughs> storage. I know, I got to like, I got to build that brand out and I need <laughs> yeah, to, uh, I need I need something to kind of kick me in the pants to like, hey, you need to get back to blogging. I, I have like, 50, you know, one paragraph blog post that I've started.
0: Do it, man. Let this be the the inception of a personal brand.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so jtdowney.com. So so, uh, uh, John and then T Downey, so JT Downey. Uh, And then from there, you can find my Mastodon link and my LinkedIn and stuff like that. I've since gotten off the Bluebird uh, and moved on to, uh, there's actually a a Mastodon uh, or a Fediverse thing called Infosec Exchange. There's a lot of great security content out on there.
0: No, it's amazing. Okay, perfect. And, um, I ask everybody this to close it out. Uh, so you've had an incredible career span, multiple companies, obviously very successful. Um, but at this point in your career, um, what does success mean to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, so for me, success is being happy with what I do like day to day and like helping like make an impact. So I, you know, I think from me personally, like the i i was very fortunate to be at paypal and you know kind of be acquired and be there during a terrific run up uh from in the company uh, kind of you know finances so for me a lot of what i want to do is have the best impact that i can to help people out so you know and like for me when i joined gofundme like i used to joke with people like it wasn't a day that I would go by that i wouldn't leave uh just crying about something because it's there's so much emotion wrapped up in the site. There's so many great stories, so many things that go on in the world, and GoFundMe is a place where you can find that, and you can kind of find people to connect with who, who are in need, and then, you know you can help them out, and like that's it's a great part of the website.